On today's episode, we have Dean Guido. Dean is a former athlete and powerlifter turned nutrition coach and rucking enthusiast with a simple message, walk more, way more. I first met Dean in Costa Rica many years ago at Ben House's functional medicine retreats. Back then, he was a big guy who liked to lift heavy things, but he's always been a great human being. And I asked him on the show today to tap into his personal fitness and pain journey, along with providing some helpful tools we can use to get our clients moving more. In this episode, we dive into the following topics. Dean's personal fitness and pain journey, the searching process of fitness through life changes, what high flux is, why we need to move more, why going to the gym may not be enough, structured lifts versus building capacity with moving, and why your step count may not be a bad obsession. So without further ado, here's our episode with Dean Guido. I'm Tim Richard, And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. Dean, I'm so impressed right now you are walking on a treadmill. <laughs> What's your step count right now? And for me, it's 9.30 in the morning. I think it's what, 7.30 in the morning for you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 7.35. Um, it's like 266 is what my treadmill says. I actually, uh, I haven't counted steps for a couple months because my Garmin broke and I got a like a whoop strap, which doesn't count strap uh, steps, but it's it, my treadmill does count it. So for at least this conversation, I'll know how much we're walking. And I basically woke up and came right to this. So it's pretty oh, Okay, perfect. I'm excited to see what your treadmill says after this, what you can get in. <laughs> Um, before when you had like your Garmin, do you actively track step count every single day? Uh, yeah, like I wouldn't like be obsessed about it and look at it, but yeah, like, um, that was pretty much my sole purpose for getting that, that and like, um, just conditioning metrics, which is kind of why I switched over to the loop because I couldn't wear it during jujitsu, but for the most part, I counted every step I would say for a couple of years. What would you average? Uh, depends on the year. Like, um, like when I first, like when I first like started looking into it, uh, probably quite a bit, like I think it was like 17,000 steps a day, but like now I'm ish around 12, like 9,000 to 12,000 steps a day. Right. It kind of depends like summer, like a lot more winter. Um, uh, well this winter I'm probably gonna get a lot more cause I got my walking treadmill out. Uh, you can't hear it or see it, but I'm definitely walking right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I end up getting more steps because if I just kind of crush through work, you kind of forget you're walking and then it's like you almost get too many. Yeah, for sure. I'm so jealous. I want a treadmill so bad, but I just don't see it happening anytime soon. But the fact that you could just be walking and doing a podcast or answering some emails or something is amazing. Yeah. And like that was kind of like, so like my work, so I do nutrition coaching, but um, a lot of it's for, via screen recording. So I'm not actually typing a lot. Um, so it's actually really easy to do the walking treadmill thing, but kind of, and it's easier for podcasts. Like I can get my steps in, but <laughs> I would have probably sat down for this because it was early. But like I said, I was running late with um, daddy daycare with my kid in the morning. So I just didn't have a chance to move it, which is kind of a negative because if you need to the, not have it, I have to physically move it and then bring my chair and put it back in. So um, it's a good problem to have. So I've been forced to walk, but then in like the rare instance where I need it, I need to like prepare. Yeah, absolute champion. Um, how many times a day do you go for like an active walk? Uh, like once. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm like the worst. I, uh, it, it depends. I, I get so many, like if I'm looking at the morning. So before I even start work, a lot of times uh, we were talking about daycare stuff, but um before this, I I get like 2,000 steps by the time I'm home for work, just changing the kid, doing doing cereal in the morning, usually some form of dancing. And then then got to go to the daycare, and then I got to come back, and I take the stairs and do all that. So I, I'm already at 2,000. So really by the time, like, my day is, like, complete, like, so Rory is going for um, a bath. That's when I go for a walk. I take my dog out. I'll go for about a mile, mile and a half. So 
but I'm always moving. I don't know. Like that might just be the consequence of having children. Yeah, probably. Maybe I'll find out one day. Um, And you're wearing a weighted vest. How much weight you got on you? I'm going like full walk more king. Um, I think it's like a 14 pounds. I'm kind of running an experiment. I have um, like a jujitsu tournament in December and I was, I was going to cut weight without actually dieting. So I was just going to do the best, but now I'm not, but I'm kind of just used to it. So just kind of via habit, I wear it in the mornings and kind of like, um, like during supper time and stuff. All right. And what was your last workout? Uh, depends. Define workout. Cause this is kind of why we started this conversation before like lifting or like, like, like something active. No, that's a great question because some people consider what you're doing right now a workout. Uh, yeah. Probably a little bit more active. Uh, so I do jujitsu about probably like six or seven days a week, depending on the week. I don't know how many hours, like depending on the day. Um, but like that, that's it. So that's that or like, uh, I guess in the summer I was, I was rocking a little bit more, but since the, the vest experiment, I haven't been really rocking because it's kind of the same thing. Um, but yeah, like jujitsu yesterday at noon. And when did, when did you start that? Like, what was it like to begin going to jujitsu or did you already have kind of maybe an introduction or a foundation into it? Uh, not really. So like I did jujitsu once. So I did like, I was kind of like that person that your friend brings to class, um, in high school. So that would have been like way too long ago. Okay. 35, that was like 18. So I have like no experience in it, but I, I like grew up watching mixed martial arts. Like that's kind of just, I don't know what I did, but I was always doing something else. So it was kind of football and then college football. And I never, I didn't go back to the class cause it was like, well, I'm going to get hurt. <laughs> I'm like, I have a scholarship. Like this was in high school. So like I had, I knew where I was going for school and all this stuff. So I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get beat up and lose my scholarship. So I, I didn't. And then I did powerlifting after that. And so I kind of always wanted to do it, but it started more or less when we found out we were having Rory was that like, I was essentially done competing in any form or fashion. I was kind of lifting um, for hypertrophy. And like long story short, I was like, I need to do something active and physical and competitive so that she could see me be active, physical and competitive because that, that whole life was like talk about high school and call it that, that was like a lifetime ago. Um, and I kind of wanted to be able to showcase that as a parent and I had interest in it. So it was like a little bit of both, but that's kind of, so I would say like three years ago, three years ago, Rory's two and a half. So it was kind of, yeah, it was about three years ago I started, but it was just like, I basically found out she was pregnant. And like, I, I would say within like a week, I started jujitsu. Okay. So yeah. we got your why there of why you kind of transition training styles, but what is comparatively like, what does training look like for you these days? And then what it, what did it look like a few years ago? Yeah. Like, so that, the reason why I asked about the, the physical activity part was because or like, what was a workout is like, I haven't formally worked out more or less for like two and a half years, somewhere around like six months in the jujitsu. Granted we had COVID. So like there was like a lot of shutdowns, but lifting wasn't serving what I was doing anymore. Uh, so like a little bit of background, like I, I lifted competitively powerlifting and now I kind of like gained 40 pounds trying to get massive. And I have like a rap sheet of injuries mostly from football, but some from powerlifting. And so like, I would say for the majority of my twenties and probably my thirties, I've been in some sort of pain in lifting just made it worse. Uh, For the most part, like, I mean, like most of the pain was like, it felt during lifting. So kind of working out wise has changed completely. I'm not going to say I'm not in pain. Like I'm doing jujitsu, but, um, I don't think about it as much. So kind of somewhere around like the six month mark, I was super stiff. Like I was 240 and like now I'm about 205 pounds. So I lost quite a bit of weight, but I was lifting so much that like my main adaptation was to be stiff 
and a refrigerator. And jujitsu is essentially the exact opposite. Like it's not the exact opposite, but like the positions I was in, like did not come naturally. And that kind of bothered me because like I alluded to, like I was talking about before, like I was a college athlete. Like I, I ran, I jumped I was fast, hit people, all kind of crazy positions, getting up and off the, the, the turf. It's just like, I'd like lost any capacity to like feel like that. And so I was like, I'm just going to stop, I'm going to stop lifting because every time I would lift, I would just stiffen up and like, I couldn't, like, I couldn't shake it. And so I, I literally just stopped. Like it was just like, I'm not going anymore. And like nothing really happened. Like in a, in a good way. Like I thought I was going to like, like I shrunk a little bit, but I didn't like lose anything weirdly. I, I, I more or less gained, gained a lot um, on the other end. So yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a common journey. I typically see with guys in like the, the strength world or powerlifting yeah. world this just gets to a point where you just can't sustain it anymore. And you, you kind of start making a little bit more of a connection with like your daily life to your body. And anytime you have additional superficial muscle mass on you, it's going to compress or create tension in your system, which kind of what you're referring to of like not feeling athletic, not feeling like you can kind of move around. Um, So how do you think like, your, did you see like shifts in your identity because the way you were training? Because like you referred to like as an athlete, you were kind of moving mm-hmm. around a lot, and then maybe that changed a little bit when you were powerlifting. But it feels like you're kind of back in that like athletic mindset a little bit. Yeah, I think like part of it. So like again, when, once I quit powerlifting, I say quit. I don't even think I did anything after that. So like I was just lifting, mm-hmm. and then you kind of like. And part of it might have been because I owned a gym and I was training like full time. But like the thing I like, like, and I like lifting. So like I always refer to like the good old days, but like we used to put on Limp Biscuit, have our cutoff t shirts, our backwards hats, and just like do West Side training and Joe DeFranco style stuff. And like it was like a football thing. And like I loved lifting. Like I couldn't, you couldn't get me out of the gym. And then somewhere along the line with powerlifting and then not powerlifting and just trying to get as big as possible was. And I was training alone, partially because of COVID and all this stuff. It's just like, I don't know, it just wasn't fun anymore. And then on top of that, I, st- I had all these injuries from all the previous stuff. So I would say like the identity of it kind of changed because I was also training. And so I was training this thing I, I used to love and I almost like lost it because I'm like now doing it for a job. And so there was like probably a lot of factors there. Um, for me, it was mostly the pain part. Um, I wouldn't say it was as much of an identity because like I said, it, I almost lost it because I wasn't competing. So the lifting was kind of just a segue into that because like, how do you compete when you're done football? There's not many options, or maybe there's a lot of options, but none of them like really like suited me. Uh, I wish I would have just did jiu-jitsu. That would have probably solved a lot of issues. Probably not the pain issue. <laughs> um, <laughs> but lifting, I was good at lifting. So like I went right from, I literally went from football. I had a, a, a hip surgery. So like a, they remodeled my femur and Last tag and cut out three quarters of my labrum. And so, um, like any normal athlete, I just competed three months after that in multiply powerlifting gear. Um, so, like, not good decisions, but I was good at lifting and I won, like, I won nationals on like my first go. So, I was already strong. So, that kind of got me hooked. Um, and then, somewhere along the line, I got unhooked. And, like, so I don't know if that answers it, but it's like my identity did shift, but not really. I think the, the, the parent thing might have. But in terms of like competitive nature, it didn't. But I, I would I assume that's part of why I quit. Because when you're not lifting for anything, at least for me, like it was like I was just lifting to get big, which to me was like this goal that meant nothing to me other than I was just seeing what, what could happen, um, which is not really directionally helpful, at least for me. So how has trying to figure it out by yourself been going? Let's see. You go to a weekend seminar, but when you return to your clients on Monday, you don't do anything different. You take a course on biomechanics, hoping to fix your client's nagging aches and pains, but the exercises you were taught aren't working. You watch other coaches on Instagram make it look so easy and think, I just need to do what they are doing. Does this sound like you? 
I get it. It's hard to navigate the vast amount of information out there, and we can't do it all alone. That is why a trusted mentor is so important. Mentors allow you to exchange ideas about current athletes and clients, gain strategies to apply your knowledge into actual exercises, and learn from their failures so you don't have to. Especially if you're self-employed or working in a gym, there isn't always someone there to push you to get better. The MBT private mentorship is the answer. We talk about clients, program design, exercise selection, business development, and finances. If you want more out of yourself, send me a DM on Instagram or reach out to me via email at mboland at michellebolin-training.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah, well, priorities change, right? And then you stop enjoying something, so... Well, in, to, to get bigger, you just have to keep lifting more. So, like, it was like, <laughs> like, I was lifting a lot more than I had ever in my life. And it was just like, well, this is, like, not fun. Uh, and it wasn't for anything, like, personally for me. So, like, there's, I get why people do it, but it had no relevance to me. And I didn't really figure that out till I don't want to say till it was too late, but I just, like, figured it out and quit. Like, it was kind of, like, what it was. Yeah, jiu-jitsu seems like there's a lot of creativity and problem solving, and maybe that's also too more like cognitively stimulating. <clears throat> yeah, like I don't you you train lifting. There's not many things. You can there's, like, <laughs> there's, there's like push pull, whatever um, vertical push. But like if you categorize it, like even with the old Michael Boyle model, but there's not that many things to do in the coach. And powerlifting, there's even less because you're just squatting, benching, deadlifting. And so, like, I'm not going to say I'm a master of it, but, like, I'm, it, it's not that hard to master, like, lifting. Like, there's not mm-hmm. that much. So, I, like, I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom right now. Like, I don't even know what I don't know at this point. With lifting, I don't think it's, it's like that. Would you just say you can't read a book and figure it out? Or, like, you have to, like, figure it out. <laughs> there's like, yeah, so, like, I, I would say 100% it's cognitively stimulating, but it's also, like, impossible to master. Which to me is like good because not that I mastered lifting, but I, I was I was as close as you can to I, I would say at least for like my sport because it's just not that difficult. You go up and down like that's <laughs> you lift things off the ground or push them, and that's like very very simple. Yeah, exactly. I think I probably hit, and again, I like I I've seen this with so many people, and I and I feel like most people, especially strength and conditioning coaches that I went to grad school with. I remember I went to a huge national um, conference like last January and I was talking to a bunch of people I went to grad school with and I kind of got the same impression. Everyone kind of felt like the type of style that they were doing for lifting, which was a lot of, you know, typical, like the three big lifts, benching, cleaning, uh, deadlifting, back squatting, just weren't sustainable. So when actual life responsibilities kicked in they just couldn't deal with like feeling like shit constantly throughout the day and like they couldn't maintain that type of like volume and training so instead of doing something else most of the time I see people just stop doing anything and don't train at all and one I think it's because they don't really know a different way to train But also at the same time, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I really hit a rut where I was just so bored out of my mind, even though I I feel like I I trained a a little bit, quote unquote, more athletically in the weight room. But again, like you, I feel like I was pretty competitive. And that's where I kind of have gone out of the weight room a little bit more. And I've gotten to a lot of endurance type of running. Mm -hmm. and, And that is just been such a huge difference. I enjoy it a lot more. I try to be very competitive in races and it really feeds that. Um, but I think it, it is this continuous, continuous journey of kind of feeding, especially as a competitive person, that aspect, but also finding something that's like a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. Like, and we kind of talked about this on, on messaging before this, but it was just like the lifting stimulus is actually fairly heavy. So like, like deadlifting 500 pounds for reps was kind of where I was ending up at for like volume. Cause I couldn't like squat. Cause my knee anyway, it's just, it's just like the way I was doing that, you can't do it 
like haphazardly. So like the strategy you use for it, whatever that is over the years, mine was feeding into like very, very, I, I was just very compressed. And like, in order for me to even lift a little bit lighter, it's like I lifted everything the same way. And yeah. so like, I couldn't get out of that pattern if I was lifting, because if I did that even once a week, my it would like, it would just keep that adaptation. I was like, I don't want the adaptation. <laughs> I literally want it gone. And so like part of it was like I couldn't like get into a gym setting and lift any other way, even if I tried. And if I tried, then I was like not really lifting. And I was like, well, I, that's kind of where jujitsu like, and this is actually like part of the conversation in my head was that I was so I had no attachment to jujitsu or any knowing of how to do it. There was no like crazy bracing strategy. I like it was just like from the ground up. It was and so like essentially I felt good going to jujitsu. Like I had no knee pain. And like I get knee pain and stuff, but all the pain I had before, I like didn't really have because I wasn't thinking. There was no like neuroticism around like how to do something. And lifting just kind of fed that probably because it was a, a big, big trigger for me to like stiffen and basically compensate for all the shit that I went through and figure it out because I was really good at it. Um, Jiu-jitsu, I was so bad at it and I had no attachment. So it was really helpful to like almost feel freed from it, um, mm -hmm. from bullshit that I was kind of dealing with, with the lifting. And so like, I don't know, like that was part of it. Um, and and it, like, yeah. Let's dive into like specifically, we'll start with like power lifting. Yeah. How did you view pain? What were you experiencing? And then also like, how did you deal with it during that time? Did you just avoid things or just power through it? I probably powered through it. Like, <laughs> weirdly, so like I talked about how I had my surgery and went right to powerlifting. I never actually had any pain until like I started learning how to lift. And part of it was there. I remember specifically. Um, so I had like a knee surgery too. So I had like a like a tumor on top of my patella. It's like a super rare occurrence. It wasn't under. It was over. And so when they cut it out, like I didn't feel like my knee was real. Like it, it, it still doesn't feel real. But it never really gave me problems until I I tried to power. I tried to. My, my goal was to do a marathon, deadlift six hundred, and bench four hundred in like a weekend or like in a, a day. And so it was actually the running training that fucked me up, probably because I couldn't rotate or do anything. So I'm just like, yeah. Um, but my knee somewhere along, like midway through, like so I was like I was able to do a half marathon somewhere along the line, and I was kind of building up. Anyways, long story short is like my knee one day was just like it like blew up just like swollen and like it never ever got better and so part of it was i was good up until that point but i was probably never good that was like the straw that broke the camel's back was like you probably can't flex your knee because you're so stiff and you went right from two knee surgeries and a hip surgery to just doing this and so i never really like got back what I lost and I went right into something that made me super stiff. And so somewhere along the line, I think that happened. And then, then it was, yeah, I just kind of, I would say powered through it. I figured out how to squat wider. So like, again, background, I was in multiply lifting, which you have a power lifting suit and you can stay super upright and you can get your feet really wide. Like you can't really do that without the squat suit, but I almost like figured out how to deadlift my squat with my back. Um, right from the get-go so like i never really had to feel it and then yeah i just kind of continued to like essentially like more or less train through it and then got to the point where i was like yeah i'm not doing that anymore i'm just gonna do bench only and then i quit right after that because i was like wow like i can't even compete with good people because i can't even really train and mm -hmm. so kind of the competitive part powerlifting you at least know who the strongest people are you have to be at this level and i'm using my hands but you already know who the best people are. And so like, I was slowly at the beginning, I was like kind of hanging. And then somewhere along the line, everyone got super, super strong. And all the good people started learning about powerlifting. And then, like all the athletes and the, the genetic outliers started doing powerlifting. And I was, I had no shot. So I was like, I quit because I couldn't like, I couldn't compensate for my knee anymore. I just felt it like all the time, like walking, like it just, I, I was like, I should just like sit down all day and that didn't help. And so, yeah. Yeah, I see this. What about now with the jujitsu? Like, what are you what are you dealing with now, and how do you approach it now? Do you have, is it different, or are you just kind of? Yeah, like so you can see I'm walking. Like, 
I took on like the walking has nothing to do with my knee, but it kind of does. So somewhere along the line, I was like, I need to build capacity of like moving because I like I I literally didn't want to walk, um, and I actually want to run. So somewhere along the line, it was like, how do I build capacity in this thing? So kind of in line with the research I was doing with nutrition, with the high flux and the movement and all this stuff, I'm going to test it out. And slowly over time, I was able to like just walk um, in the walking treadmill. And even so like during COVID, so this all happened kind of during COVID is we just in Canada, at least it was shut down like for long periods of time, like everything was shut down. It was a lot different than most of the States. So like we just did walks around our neighborhood and slowly over time, I like my step count, I talked about my step count, but it was almost like it just kept going up and up from like 2000 steps a day, which is like insanely low, um, to like seven to eight to nine. And then I kind of got the walking treadmill along then at 17. And essentially my goal was to build capacity and just doing like work, whatever that was. And I was still lifting at the time. So it was like, if I lifted five days a week, but my step count went up, my volume of just like not being in my head and, and doing stuff that I thought I couldn't do went up. And so I kind of more or less like treated it like microdosing. Like what else can I do and add in just on a daily basis that wasn't structured lifting? Um, Cause I wasn't ready to let go of structured lifting at that point. And so now I'm kind of in the same um, breath. It's like, again, it's just volume and frequency of like all those things. And so I would say like, since then, like my volume of just moving my body is like probably tenfold because lifting isn't very like, there's not much involved with it. You're going up and down, like in terms of a overall workout, probably doing nothing in terms of moving physically through space. Um, now I'm like tenfold that I'm walking easily 12,000 steps a day. I can get up and off the ground with Rory. Like, yeah, I still have some flexibility stuff, but like even with the kid volume of being around the house and doing stuff and getting up and down, is like that's probably a hundredfold. Like I would lay down on my bed and then I would sit down on my computer chair. That was about the end of it. Um, and then sit on a bench to go bench. Like that's not very like the capacity for movement is like zero. And so now it's a lot. Um, and then you add jujitsu, which is like a full time sport, especially the way I'm doing it. Um, I don't know. My life's changed. I wouldn't say the pain has necessarily gone away, but like the ability to like do things in spite of that, it's like so much better, which is like, again, I don't think about it because I'm busy doing stuff. And then sometimes I think about it, but before I would think about it constantly. And that, that to me is like a huge, um, like win, I guess, for me. Yeah. And you have a really good mindset. Like you're very competitive. It's really, it's like, nothing's going to stop you from moving. But Tim and I talk a lot on this podcast about like, Persistent pain clients, typically you're dealing with people who don't have sport or training history and just getting them to move on a more frequent basis can mm -hmm. really um, improve not only pain symptoms, but mm -hmm. also even if you're in the same amount of pain, but you can do more, mm -hmm. that is also a, an enormous win. So I love what you said about like building capacity with moving mm -hmm. and can you just like kind of talk about what that relates to like, what is high flux to you? Yeah. So like, like I said, the story was I kind of like did it to practice it. And like essentially all high flux is, is <clears throat> if you're like classic diet or, or whatever, like you're trying to lose weight or gain weight, it doesn't really matter. But at a certain weight, you can eat a low amount of food or you can eat a high amount of food. But in order to kind of eat a high amount of food, you got to do more but you can be weight neutral or lose weight or gain weight at lower calories. You would just have to do less. And so a lot of the ways you do more, yeah, you could lift more and stuff, but in terms of capacity for that, there's not much. So you just end up moving more is kind of the metric I use. So such if you do more, you can eat more and it's not to eat more, but your, your calorie neutral spot would be higher than if it was lower. And so people who don't do as much, they don't need as much. So they have to eat less. And then in my conundrum with the dieting world and like general populations is they don't do that much and they have to diet. And then we get into these low calorie spots, which they have to do because there's no other way. Um, if I can get them to move more, they can more or less eat a little bit more and still be in a deficit and still have a meal out or drink every once in a while or whatever. But they can have a life where if they don't do anything, I think the reality is they probably can't and they're not going to do it. So it's kind of. I'm working in that world and high flux was a way to essentially combat 
uh, our current environment of being tons of food. But during that, to like learn about it and, and practice it, I had to, to more or less walk more. And that was like my trigger was like just moving my leg or my, my legs. And so like, yeah, like I, I figured it out obviously, but it, it was like a slow, it, it was almost like if I could get out of thinking about it. And so walking on a treadmill working was actually really helpful because cognitively I was here and I'm pointing at my screen, but I'm not thinking about my leg. And it was like, how much can I not think about it? And then I built it up. But does it relate to the lifting or to the, the dieting part? Yeah, like, like again, I figured out or figured out, but in, in practice, like I lost. So like I quit the lifting part. Um, I lost like 40 pounds. So again, part of that's probably not lifting and joining jujitsu, but my step count again went from like two to 3,000 to 17. Um, 17 was way too high for my jujitsu. I got sick a lot. So I basically have to move this walking treadmill out because um, it was during the w winter and like walk less. But um, I was able to basically like lose weight without changing anything uh, food wise, which then also helped all the other stuff I was working on. So it wasn't planned that way, but mm -hmm. in a roundabout way, my nutrition coaching journey kind of coincided with having a kid, which coincided with like movement, which is what I always wanted to get since I developed that shit storm after the, the marathon incident, which like I can, I got, there's like a visible moment. Like I remember, like I was, I was at home, I crushed through the run, my leg hurt the whole time and it like never got better. And there was never any like acute pain. It was just kind of basically normal patella tendonitis or whatever, whatever you want to call it at the moment. My patella is very big from that surgery and like it just never got better. And so like that was kind of when I figured out the walking thing that got better. It didn't get better, but capacity for it got better. So it all kind of like converged on this like journey that I mm -hmm. accidentally did and I feel better, but I don't feel hundred percent better. Like, um, and jujitsu doesn't help either. Like I have since jujitsu, I've injured myself like 20 times I've injured everything, but like, I don't know. I'm like so much happier because of it in a weird way. Yeah, and like you, you can't protect yourself. I think no. a negative attitude when I see people like age, and I even see this not necessarily myself sometimes, but people my age of like, oh, I don't want to do this because I don't want to get hurt. And I just like I personally, I just don't think that's a great way to go through like life experiences or like denying yourself life experiences. Like, oh, I don't want to try rock climbing because I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to try skiing because like I don't want to get hurt. And it's like, yeah, like, I guess, but you, you can't predict what's going to happen, right? This season of More Train, Less Pain is brought to you by my remote fitness programming service. We've been talking a lot about navigating the minefield that is attempting to train and improve fitness while dealing with persistent pain. If you feel like this directly applies to you, it can be daunting to attempt to construct your own workouts and long-term programs. Personally, one of the best decisions I ever made was to outsource that process and hire a coach. Someone who's external to the day-to-day -day reality of being in my body and my brain that can take my preferences, feedback, and athletic goals and coalesce them into a stable, doable fitness program that I can execute. It's an honor to serve in that role for my clients and my athletes. Stop banging your head against a proverbial wall and spinning your wheels changing workouts every week. Start investing in a long-term process to discover what your body is capable of and the long-term progress that you can make. Reach out via the contact tab on timrichart.com to learn more. Now, back to the show. Yeah, and you get like, you don't get the experience of how not to get hurt. Like, like truthfully, since like, since jujitsu, and like, again, there's a certain way you have to move your body, but every injury, there, there's some like contact stuff that you can't avoid in a roundabout way, a lot of it's avoidable by like learning how to move and doing all that. So like each injury is like, it kind of is a teacher and you don't get that experience unless you do it. And like, do you need to do jujitsu to learn that? No. But like for me with the walking, like I had to get up and walk and do it and figure out how to move again. And like wherever I was at and however you're walking is kind of, it's going to be is what it is. But it was like the neuroticism of walking when I wasn't, or when I was thinking about it was like, how do I rotate my body and do this? And it was just like not sustainable. And so trying to figure out how to 
move without thinking was kind of my inroad to how do I come back from this? And for me, it was like not thinking about it. But the injury part, like, again, it, 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 it makes you think about it. And so, like, it, it's, injury is kind of a weird teacher that way, I guess. Yeah. And once you have surgery or pathology, there's there's always going to be something. Yeah. yeah, like, I can't feel it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've had three surgeries. So it's like, I know that. And that yeah. also bugs me. So it's like my way around it is to figure out things that do help, which is... Again, that's a searching process too, which again, if I was scared of everything, I wouldn't search for anything. So like, I'm almost willing to deal with the pain to find the things that aren't painful. Um, yeah. Which is, that is harder in practice, especially for people that like don't like pain, but I've been injured since I started football. So I'm almost, I'm like good friends with, with pain and injury. So I'm used to it. And maybe that's a skill built over time. But like, like I said, I've been injured since I can remember. There's always something. <laughs> but I love the just the idea of the searching process because mm. I think we make training sometimes too objective and mm. we don't allow room for this almost experimentation and like continuously yeah. trying to evolve through it and especially like in regards to a connection with our body and so I, don't, I like that phrase of searching process but the other thing I was thinking about is I get your newsletter and I love it. And sometimes I forward it to a few of my clients who I actually might put you in contact with, but you're like insanely lean, like muscular guy. A lot of the issues I see with my persistent pain clients in the gym is they actually struggle with body composition to the point where I think, again, we talked about superficial muscle mass, but any sort of superficial mass in general is going to restrict motion, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think when I've had clients who, I've had a few clients now who've lost like 40, 50 pounds, and without, you know, doing any exercises that improve like internal rotation, mm -hmm. they just automatically can move better because they don't mm -hmm. have that mass blocking them. But the idea of momentum of where like, they view weight loss as restricting, like eating less, as you said, mm -hmm. instead of this moving more. And it's like, okay, you can create this momentum where if like you move more, you can consume more calories and, and mm -hmm. stay at uh, calorie neutral or you know, drop weight. And I just, I think it's just this, such a reframing of what weight loss, body composition, moving, eating can do. Yeah, and like it ends up like feeding this style of walking, which again, my, my name on Instagram is like Walk More King, which is kind of a joke that I don't want to get into. But um, if you look at anything evolutionarily, like and even in all of these pain science realms and and, and certifications, and all this stuff, everything a lot of the time are, like, kind of points back to gait and moving. And like I said, I, I didn't stumble on walking. I, I almost ended up stumbling on walking, but like any longevity, like all the big longevity studies lately have been. Hey, walking's as good as losing weight or not smoking. Walking is going to help you live longer. And all these things, what do the, the centurions do? They all walk. And it's like more of it's, is it a purpose? I don't know, but it, it's one of those things where if you lose it, you, you, you feel it once you get it back. And so like, like when I started walking, I just felt better in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I lost superficial weight. And like part of my journey was I need to lose a lot of my muscle, especially my back, which did help. But walking didn't hurt and if anything it helped in so many aspects in so many ways that it was like any even on the i started from the nutrition front <laughs> like again it wasn't walking for pain or any of this stuff but it ended up fixing a lot of things and i think like that capacity to do that you can look at the stats and again this, this does lead back to dieting but like the cdc average like 3500 to 4500 steps i think is what people are at that's like so low especially once you like start tracking this stuff you're like how did i not do anything that's essentially the equivalent of doing nothing, um, which isn't going to be good in any capacity. But once you move more, you, you, you realize how where you were at. And I think that that's the, the beauty of it is there's so many other elements that it does help and that have nothing to do with the diet and the restriction, which I get why people are, are obsessed with that. But the high flux kind of is an end round to avoid that sort of thinking by just not dealing with it dealing with a whole different problem 
that you have no attachment to, right? And it kind of fixes the other thing. But I find that every time people try to intentionally lose weight, it, it always ends up in restriction and they think about it, kind of like my pain, right? And so if you can kind of attack another problem that the byproduct is losing weight, we end up being in a good spot. And part of the problem is people eat too much, but they eat too much because they're in an environment where like they're evolved to eat food and do all this stuff. They're going to eat a lot. We can't move. Like if you want to move out of the, and go to the jungle or the desert, yeah, you won't eat as much. When you live in Western society, there is food. There's, you can't blame yourself. And so the inroad is doing this thing, which helps all these other things. Not even fixes the dieting thing. Mm -hmm. um, it still work, but I mean, classically, dieting doesn't work. Like, there's a reason why we have all the information in the world, the best PTs, and all this stuff. There's the fitness is the biggest thing it's ever been at any point in history, and our obesity rates are up. And so, again, is it the nutrition information or is it the environment? And so, again, I'm I'm about byproducts, um, and and weight loss just happens to be one of them. And for me, a lot of things are are, are byproducts. My pain. My thinking, my life, like yeah. jujitsu, all this stuff, and I've lost. I, I'm pretty lean right now, but I, I'm, not, I'm not always that lean. Um, again, I didn't diet. Like I know how to diet, but I changed nothing about food. I just increased my steps by like fivefold, <laughs> and did jujitsu. But I mean, but again, the byproduct was weight loss. My blood pressure went down. My blood pressure was sky high from lifting. Um, my resting heart rate was like 65 to 67, which again isn't like bad but it was, it's now 50. So it, it, measurably things have improved and I feel better. And so it's kind of nice objectively too. It has changed outside mm -hmm. of just subjectively. I see that with a lot of people. No, that's great. And it, it, that whole process, again, it's like that keyword of like the searching process, just like creating momentum one place. Like if mm. you target one thing, just eat, excuse me, move more, like all these other aspects of your life can be like greatly impacted. Yeah. And like, again, the neuroticism, like I find anytime, especially people like me focus on something, if you really focus on it, I just don't see walking or step counts as like a neuroticism thing. That's going to be like bad. Like mm -hmm. it might get bad and take over your life, but it's one of those weird ones where it's like, there's worse problems to have kind of like how people who are addicted, they're like, I found the gym to save my life. It's like, is that better for their life? <laughs> In a lot of ways, yes, they might socially still be, there might be a lot of problems, but it's a better route than that. And I find like the worst case scenario is you get obsessed about your steps. That's mm -hmm. like an okay problem to have, especially <laughs> when you look at the pros and cons. But I don't find that that happens a lot, but there's like, you have to the step count. Since not having my Garmin, it's kind of nice not to think about my step count. But the skill involved with learning how to walk more and like where you find your steps um, and all this stuff it is kind of a skill, especially when our whole environment and society is set up to do less elevators, right? Escalators driving. I want to park as close to it. Cause I don't want to actually walk in the back of the parking lot. Um, everything's designed to be easier, which is almost if in terms of my field, like with the obesity epidemic, we've almost created the situation where you, if you just follow the rules, you will gain weight because it's all about being easier. And so like the skill of, learning how to say no and do inefficient things is actually the helpful part. And that's where the step counter can help because it can show you the reality. Um, the reality was I was walking 2000 steps a day. I was like, I'm active. Like I lift, like, like I do stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, no, you don't do anything. And I would go for one walk. And it would be more than my whole step count for a whole day. But if I look back on it, I'm sitting on my computer doing nutrition coaching for eight hours a day, working out of my basement. And then, watching Netflix at night because I didn't have a kid at the time. So I literally didn't move. I moved from like my, my office right here, which the gym was out there and my upstairs was upstairs. And so I was in shape and strong, but I wasn't actually doing anything. And I think a lot of people will relate to that. Maybe not the, the lifting part, but you drive to work, you sit in the desk, you drive home, you go to the gym, but you drove to the gym and then you drive back home and you probably eat and then go watch TV. That's not a very active day in terms of like cumulative volume of movement, like I was saying before. And so the step count just helps you see the, the truth. Yes. That, that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, I see that in so many of my clients. I actually, I send out a client once a month, like newsletter. 
And yeah. uh, last month was all about like the benefits of walking. And then I differentiated walking and like zone two type of conditioning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a lot of people work from home. Like you said, they like get up, go to the kitchen, get lunch, get in their car, come to the gym once or twice a week. And, and that's pretty much all like the moving they're doing. Um, and, and they're active. Like that's the thing is like yeah. they're doing what they've been told to do, which is like yes. meet gym and exercise and be healthy. And I get a little bit of pushback in my messaging because they're like, well, because I'm like, that's not enough. And like, I say it like that. So they're probably like, this asshole is like, tell me I'm not doing enough. But I'm like, objectively, it's not. It's not because it would be working if it was. And it's just like, it sucks that that's the message we're sold. But part of it is that's a good message, but you're still not doing enough. And so that's where, and it's again, it's not your fault. Like, you shouldn't get enough because like, your job is here and you're not allowed to... You, like there's some jobs and even zoom calls right now. So we have a lot of stay at home stuff where like it's, it's a faux pas to be on a walking treadmill. Like, mm -hmm. because it looks weird. It's not the standard. Right. And so like that alone could fix a lot of the problems. And again, I'm not going to get into that, but I mean, it is environment a lot of times and like cultural norms kind of push away from that. And again, it's not people's fault. Yeah. I had the exact same conversation with one of my clients. I was like, why can't you just take one of your business calls or zoom meetings out on a walk? And he was just like, you know, cause it's not, it's not a professional like background yeah. or people are going to think that I'm not in the office kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, well, what's more important kind of a thing. Yeah. And it's just like, that sucks. Like that's kind of where, yeah. at least with my nutrition clients, like that's where I have a hang up a lot of times cause they can't. And so that's where it becomes a choice. It's like, I understand that part. And so like, I'll tell you to get more steps, but at a certain point, um, there is like a, a block somewhere. And if you can't get over a certain amount, then yeah, you, you have to eat less. But my goal is like, how do we start from more of everything so that when we actually have to go to restricting food, which again, is going to be a, a norm anyways. Like I'm not about, you're not, there's going to be, have to be some restriction or some changes, but can we hold off on that as long as possible? Because the longer we can do that, the less your life is going to look so much different because most people have a dieting life where they cut everything out, they do everything perfect. And then they have, well, I gained all my weight back. It's like, yeah, cause you're living two different lives. And so I'm kind of about figuring out how do you meet in the middle? Again, um, messaging doesn't align with that because it's like, well, you need to eat less and move more. It's like sort of, but like, you also have to have a life that you live. That's a real life. A fake life. And that's harder for people to do because of that same situation is like their real life dictates that they can only get 7,000 steps. Okay. Now the reality is you have to eat this much, but can you push back on it as much as possible? That's where the step count helps because again, it tells you reality that person might figure out a way. I don't know how, right. But they might be the one who has to walk late at night if they want to not make as many lifestyle changes. Yeah. But that's, that's where at least they have a choice. And I think at least with the messaging the way it is people feel hopeless because like well i go to the gym and i'm like eating healthy and i'm like walking a little bit and it's like you this is all you can still lose weight it's all possible if these things happen but if one of those gets knocked off like you can't walk then you have to eat less but at least you have a choice mm -hmm. um, do i want to tell you to change your job no like will that help probably but i'm not i'm not going to tell you that <laughs> and do yeah. i want you to spend a thousand dollars on a walking treadmill no, but if you did, it would be helpful, but I'm not going to force you to do that. It's just, it's, it's a series of choices now where the possibility is you can get there where most people think it's impossible because they tried all the stuff that they've been told to do, which doesn't really work in, in, in the context of real life a lot of times. For sure. I think the secret to my life is having dogs because I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm forced to go for walks every yeah. day. 100%. Yeah. And I would do it. I did it before I got dogs. But again, like if, if you have dogs, you, you're out of the house. Well, and that was talking about the beginning. It's like, do I do walks now? But I do walk at night because um, my dog needs to walk. And like at this point, she sits at the door, even with daylight savings time, at like the right time, like right when the kids, I think it's the bath. She hears the bath and she's like waiting for the walk because um, I don't do bath time. I do the walk. <laughs> Absolutely. Now you have someone being like, hey. You yeah for a walk <laughs> like and i'm tired sometimes i don't want to go like it's 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 not snowing yet which is like um i'm in canada so it's like it should be there should be a lot of snow it should be cold and there's not so like i'm like yeah let's go but it's harder it's gonna be harder in a month um yeah. but i'm still gonna do it 30 degrees out this morning it was hard yeah. but i yeah. was out there <laughs>
Um, so I'll, like I said, I get your Flux newsletters. I love how you provide like what you're reading, what you're listening to, because it kind of gets the audience involved in terms of like they can read along, listen with you. Um, so where can kind of people learn more about you and what you do? Um, I think the, the website is Get Fluxed. So G-E-T-F-L-U-X-E-D. Um, it's, you can oh, figure out what that means. It's kind of like it's kind of like my humorous way of getting back at the the nutrition industry, um, but .ca, um, and and on there there's there's a, a newsletter, so that's kind of where that is. And like I thought that was a cool idea. I don't like I came up with that myself. To be honest, I was like I don't know what the writing is. I'm just gonna write what I'm doing, um, which is kind of what I watch, what I'm listening to, courses I'm taking, or things I'm doing, um, and then just try to figure it out every week. It's kind of like a journal on my thing. There's also if you go on my Instagram at walk.more.king. Um, I guess I'm the walk more king, but it was it's an inside joke that I just never changed. And I, I'm probably not going to now. Um, but there's a, a, a free sign up on my newsletter. And if you do that, I think right now I have like a rocking guide, but it, yeah. it's kind of just a weighted walking guide on how to get started. And you mentioned I'm wearing a vest right now, but it's just like how to get a little bit more from what you're already doing. Um, and that's kind of a concept I talk about. It's just like, kind of like what I was saying before, there's only a certain amount of time you have in a day. How can we squeeze just a little bit more to maybe give you a better shot? It's not going to be perfect. It's not necessarily going to be easy. And I look kind of weird in the vest, walking on a walking treadmill, but at least I can do a podcast and get something out of it um, more than sitting. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, anyways, you sign up for that. You, you, you're kind of signed up for the newsletter as well. Um, and then just follow anything I do on Instagram. Um, but right now I'm most active on my newsletter just because uh, life, kids, Instagram has kind of been like falling off on the back burner, um, which is good. I, I actually enjoy that. Instagram sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, all right. What do you got for your step count now? Uh, it's at 4,464. Hey, so, I think that. More than I was doing in a day, like 100%, which is like insane. It is insane. Like, look what you just got out of uh, this yeah. time frame. Which, like, if someone listened to this podcast and went for a walk, they would have more than the average. Like, I'm right at the average for every, I think it's American. I don't know if Canada, Canada's probably not any better. But, like, that's the average step count is, like, this podcast for a yeah, whole day, crazy. every day of their life. And that's, like, nothing. Yeah, that's insane. I think I had a little bit more of an active morning, and I'm ahead of you in time. So I was around, like, 9,000 when we yeah. started. But, but it hasn't moved since. I'm sitting down. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Dean. I really appreciate your time. Love chatting with you. And uh, it was great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. If you're enjoying what Michelle and I are putting together here, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on your pod player of choice. Reviews help us climb the rankings, which improves our ability to help more coaches and therapists continue to push our industry and knowledge base forward. The intro and outro music for More Train, Less Pain was produced by Jacob Azurdia. You can find out more about his music by visiting his Instagram page, J underscore Z-U-R-D-I-A. Thanks for listening.